Hello everyone, it's Paul Newbegin here from the Past Podcast with some very exciting news. I am absolutely delighted that Series 5 of the Past Podcast is brought to you in partnership with our wonderful friends at Chefworks, who are our sponsors last time round as well, so it's great to have them back. And as you'll know, they are famous for outfitting chefs, kitchens and front of house all around the world. Chefworks offer a collection of great uniforms, so to check out their full range, you can visit chefworks.co.uk. Thank you again to Chefworks, and it's great to be back for Series 5 of The Past Podcast. Enjoy! It's introduction time and I'm delighted to say that this week's guest is none other than Tommy Banks. Yes, GBM winner, Black Swan at Oldstead, Roots in York. Yes, him, the handsome, the amazing, the fantastically talented Tommy Banks. What a great chat. Uh, He absolutely ribs me throughout the show and I, um, I don't mind that at all. I'll let him get away with it. Cheers, guys, and I hope you enjoy the show. It's in between other chat, isn't it? What was I going to say? fine. You can think about it. It's quite nice to be on the, off the cuff you anyway, can be, right? Yeah, you can Because that's what food is. I've definitely got got four in my head. That's okay, then. Yeah, and cool. Then the fifth one will... Because I normally lose track as well, so it's yeah. fine. <laughs> like, I've not got a head for maths, and then I'm normally just talking to my guests anyway. So yeah, but fine. between one and five, I'm not sure that's maths, is it? <laughs> no, that's true. That's quite... In, that's quite... But what it is, is it's a good sign of that you're good company if I lose track. Yeah. Of how many dishes... If I know exactly where I am, then you're boring me. Yeah. Because I can... Well, we're following the script to the point now, so... Yeah. Because I can follow where I am then. Mm. So last time we met, as we were just saying, Roots, where we're sat now, yeah. which is just beautiful, by the way. I Thank love you. this building. It was just about to happen. It was. I think when I last met you, we were at a guest chef evening with Ellis Barry at the Cochon, um, Le Cochon, sorry, uh, in uh, in York, so Josh Overington and Vicky's restaurant. So yeah, that, that was a fun night, but I was a bit, I was probably a little bit um, nervous at that point, because we were two weeks away from opening Roots, so uh, I think that was, but that in the diary, I thought it'd be nice just to have a little night out, because there probably won't be any more nights out after Roots <laughs> opens. You were you were chilled, but there was an edge, wasn't there? You, it was on your mind. I could see. I, that. I think I'm always chilled with a bit of an edge. To be fair, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like a semi-set parfait. What was what was the kind of? Well, I don't want to use the pun roots. I was going to say what was the germ of the idea of roots, but that seemed like a pun. But where where did yeah. where did it kind of start? You know, to this project. Um, that's a good question. I mean, I just kind of had my. You get to a point with like the Black Swan. I mean, the Black Swan will always be the the you know flagship restaurant and what's the most like the important and original. But we always we kind of started thinking, you know, we're quite busy here, and it'd be quite nice to do something different. One thing about having the farm and trying to be self sufficient, 
it's quite hard to be self-sufficient when you only have one restaurant which is a fine dining restaurant that's tasting menus only so I think we needed a second outlet as well to sort of realise the dream and then the other thing is we had some great people working for us and uh, you hear a lot of chefs and I'm sure they've said this on your podcast when you've got a great team unless you provide something else for them to go on to do you're going to lose them they're going to go off and it's a shame so there's a lot of guys who came to open here who've been with us at the Black Swan for a long time so accumulation of a lot of things and I love York as well and love a challenge so well it's so interesting because obviously I've been in Yorkshire five years and I've kind of always said that it seems to me that York was on the up in terms of the food and drink and I think when you guys open and I've just seen the big review that you guys have had York is like a real culinary hotspot now, isn't it? Yeah, I think Giles Corrin said in the Times on our Roots Review, it's like York is in, forget London, York is the new food capital of the, the universe, I think he said. It's a bit of a step too far, probably that, but you know, there is some great restaurants in York and it is really pushing on. Um, I think there's still room for more, and I think, you know, but I think we're definitely going in the right direction, and uh, it is becoming a real foodie destination. We're finding that a lot. A lot of people travel a long way to come and eat here. Um, which people have always travelled a long way to come eat at the Black Swan but the Black Swan's a destination restaurant Roots I thought would be more locals but it's a good mix of both and you, you really have hit well to me anyway I've, as we are just talking about it here, the New Year's Day this year you've kind of hit that balance of keeping a bit of identity of the Black Swan but then making it maybe a little bit more kind of accessible would be maybe the right word yeah well certainly Roots is more accessible in terms of price and location um, but it's actually it's the ethos of the Black Swan but actually it's the ethos of the book Roots Roots the restaurant kind of came from the book that I wrote and uh, it was all about like the moment it's the the hunger gap so we've got three menus of the year and uh, it's all about preserved produce so it's it really is about sort of the book I've read and it's amazing people who've um, book I've written the people the people who turn up who've read the book cover to cover they just like totally get the food we're doing at Roots so yeah that must be quite cool because it did and it must be such an obvious question that you get asked quite a lot now but it did strike me you know it's a cold snowy February mm. there's not going to be much growing over mm. at Oldstead you know when you kind of started that idea out of Oldstead and we're going to grow it and we're going to use the farm did you realise that we're in Britain <laughs> yeah well that's why <laughs> that's the challenge of it but that's what makes such interesting food um, so I, I mean I look at the menu at the Black Swan at the moment or the desserts across both restaurants would be a really good way to look at it the Black Swan we've got a potato and chicory root dessert which is uh, Will Lockwood the head chef's like he's come up with that dessert and it is like phenomenal it's one of the best desserts I think we've ever done and that is using potatoes which are stored from last year which were too big for the dish we were doing in summer and we just kept them for winter uh, potato custard and chicory root which we grow a lot of and roast it it's got a lovely sort of coffee flavour you look at the desserts we have here and it's like carrot tiramisu and it's um, it's all preserved carrots from last year um, and then we've got like Yorkshire rhubarb on so you do have these sort of really great seasonal gems in January and February like rhubarb but it's spaced in between a lot of vegetables yeah but it's interesting isn't it because those sorts of things are, they they scream black swan and roots to me they scream the sort of things that I we saw you doing with the guys on MasterChef that year but actually it's almost like it is out of necessity in a way you know it's out of what you could grow it is out of necessity but also I think it, it's become what we actually like yeah. and our palates are I think when you're eating things all the time like fermentation has become quite a uh, fashion but if you're fermenting things in the way we are like this year I've got a 20 foot shipping container which is regulated just 
full-time fermenting and another one for all the finished fermented products. I mean, we ferment on a huge scale and that's just one of our forms of preserving. We're dealing with tons and tons of vegetables every summer and herbs and fruit which have been processed into ways to serve thousands of guests through the winter so it is a massive scale but i think coming by cooking with these ingredients all the time your palate does change and i really clamor for like these sort of sour flavors or for like like chicory root is this ingredient we use a lot of and no one else really uses but we we grow them and we roast them and we have a way of roasting them so it's this amazing flavor and i think it's far superior in food than coffee um i would rather drink a cup of coffee don't get me wrong there's no caffeine in chicory root so it'd be useless for me but as a as an ingredient in a dessert or an ingredient in like you know where you would use coffee in savory dishes i think it's second to none so you become to have just a different palette of ingredients well the first time i met you you gave kindly gave us a tour on a rainy day around the, yeah, the farm the farm garden and it and we said it then it's it must just be like so much inspiration for your guys the you know the brigade in the kitchen they can look out and see the seas and see what's growing you know that must be such a rewarding part of what you've done yeah it it definitely is i think it's equally frustrating because we every year we sit down with like we've got to do this better next year and like the growing plan we put and spent the last couple of weeks sort of figuring it out and i talked to will and he says i want to do i want to do that onion i want to do we do a dish which is onion and gooseberries and lobster and he says i want to do that onion dish again we grow these most amazing like little tender onions which are japanese variety and, and we're working out how many onions do we need if we're going to do this many days and this and if we're going to use something to reach that right we need 6,000 of them you're like alright we need 6,000 onions and it's that sort of like planning that's a lot <laughs> if, but if you don't execute on 6,000 onions and you you know crop fails or whatever and you get 4,000 onions you're absolutely gutted because like you feel like you've really failed you failed by like 20% so it is like the most inspiring thing to show people and it's mad but then at the same time it's incredibly frustrating <laughs> You've you said something to me a little while ago which really stuck with me, and you might have said it in interviews since about you know the Black Swan was pretty much just you guys taking over the the local pub, mm. and it wasn't ever so kind of supposed to be what it's no. turned into now. The last kind of what three years, four years, they've been mad for you, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it was necessary. We we we. I think, I think that people uh, don't always realise. I think we've been we've been pretty successful over the last few years, and but they don't see that there was ten years of graph before then, which wasn't pretty. You know, uh, running a business out in the middle of nowhere with no reputation it w- was hard, and like we did struggle for a lot of years. And uh, but I think it, it's like the vegetables we grow and everything we do. It's very organic, you know, and it has grown organically. You couldn't recreate the black swan because it is the subject of everything that's come before all of the problems and challenges that we've faced and our evolution as we've grown up and matured as people um whereas like opening something like roots you're opening from like a like a running start and what's fascinating and what i'm loving about roots is it isn't it is itself beginning to grow into something else and restaurants i don't think you can open restaurants and then be the finished product and i think you know and it's, it's all about the journey and how you keep going because 
I, I'm still as excited about like where the Black Swan's going now as I was like when we first well actually when I first died I just wanted to get drunk all the time <laughs> so and I wasn't really interested in cooking at all but you, you know what I mean I think I think it's that constant um, evolution and journey you go on you, you start to like different things and um, it's just the nuances that I enjoy but what I love about places like the Black Swan is when you go in as a diner and you kind of think this couldn't be anywhere else if you see what I mean do you know it's something is kind of you've captured something in the brick of this old downstairs yeah. do you know what I mean yeah I think well it's that it's that journey that we've been on and there is nothing generic about what we do and and that's because of the people involved as well you know like my dad is just an amazing character to me I mean uh, yeah I mean but what I love about like our restaurants uh, is that people don't always most people who come don't notice all of the things and that's fine because it's the subtleties it's like so if we're sat here in the bar and you look at the stool that's in front of us and the stools that are all around us they we, we build all the furniture so Andy great guy he's worked for us for years he works in the metal workshop at the farm and he welds all the tables so all of the tables at Roots are Roots going down yeah. whereas all the tables at the Black Swan are welded as um, as a tree going up so it was basically, you know, there's the metaphors behind it, how most people buy tables from companies and that's it. Whereas, and most people come to Black Swan and then think, oh, they're cool tables with like the windy bits of metal and I don't really know what they are. But, you know, it's, it's basically symbolizing the growth and progress and where we've come from. And then this is like putting roots down in a new place. Um, and I love these sort of subtleties and some people spot every one of them and a lot of people, well, it's impossible to. But that's what I like about it. It's, it's how far you want to read into it well well, the thing I remember loving a lot is the playlist (laughs) oh really oh my brother's quite a lot to blame for that there's a lot of dad rock I have to get editing it somewhat yeah editing it I think the thing is your restaurant playlist as members of staff you hear it every day of your life and the worst thing to do is to put on a song that you love because you soon start to hate it um, but you always know which song you can always see like when an absolute banger comes on and you can see everyone just bouncing around the room you can tell that that's just like it's usually new on the playlist so as with every guest I'm going to ask you to come up with five dishes yeah. you're going to do this slightly on the cuff that's fine how are you going to try and wing this are they going to be ones that you've eaten out are they going to be ones from your kind of journey uh, a bit of everything I think I think I'd start with, and it's something that I've kind of recreated and served here, and uh, a dish that's in my cookbook, but it's my grandma's apple cake, and it it sounds kind of cliche, but because I didn't have this sort of training, uh, I didn't go to London or Paris or whatever, and classical training, I didn't go to college, Um, my sort of food background was really in how I grew up. And we didn't have, we weren't massive foodies really, you know, we were, we were farmers and we didn't have a big knowledge of food. But what I remember was more the vegetable patch and the growing and, and living on the farm. When I was a little boy, we had a cow that was milked every morning and before school I'd go and feed the cattle with my dad and we'd, we'd very much live, you live ultra seasonally as a farmer and they're the type of things that I remember and in my head I romanticise about and that's kind of, they become the inspiration yeah. for everything else that we do and I just know my, my granddad's uh, birthday was in September and uh, he was like a workaholic farmer like they all are and my grandma would always do um, like an afternoon tea sort of thing and she would my granddad would be out ploughing and I'd always get sent to go and get him and bring him in and he would always like I'll do two or three more times so we'd all be sat there with a cup of tea waiting for him to come like every year and she used to make this apple cake out of Keswick apples 
and there was a Keswick apple tree, so it's a variety of apples. They're pretty useless for most things. They're really foamy, they're very light, incredibly acidic, but really mushy. They're like all the wrong attributes that you want from an apple, but they're perfect for this particular apple cake. And she used to make that, and I just loved it. I just love that cake. And when I make it every year, like even at home, like we make it home, like me and Charlotte, and we'll have it for dinner, and then in the morning, I eat for breakfast as well. Like I love it. It's like my absolute favorite thing. So I would have to, I couldn't not put the apple cake in. So if if you say you know you're not a particularly foodie family, you didn't go through the traditional route of you know college and what have you. What what kind of where where did it come from then? This, the cooking mm. and being a chef and yeah, well we are now, <laughs> but we certainly were then. I mean, so I mean going right back to the start, the Black Swan we bought in 2006. Mum and Dad had run a bed and breakfast quite well on the farm because it's only a small farm. It's difficult to make ends meet. And so I had to have a go at running a local pub, which I still to this day don't really know why they thought that was a good idea. Uh, me and James have both kind of left school without qualifications, not because we were we were thick by any stretch of the imagination, but we just were not focused. We were typical lads just wanting to have a good time. And why they thought it was going to be a good idea I don't know but it's worked out alright in, in, the, in the long run but for me I was uh, I loved cricket I wanted to be a professional cricketer probably would never have been good enough but you know that, that chance was taken away from me by, by illness and um, it was when I was really ill I had a year or so where I couldn't work couldn't do anything and at that point at that age as well at 18, 19, 20 um, it I found myself all my friends had gone to university and I had like no health but no qualifications no talent no skill in anything and that really put the mockers on me and I was like I need to do something with my life and that's so I kind of got into cooking because we had we'd employed a couple of decent chefs at the Black Swan and they were wanting to do some half decent food and, and I just wanted to throw myself into it so and I, I think I just had that bit between my teeth as someone who was yeah. quite angry with the Quite, not an angry person but quite angry with the cards that have been dealt to me because I didn't think it was fair that I got this illness and I couldn't do what I wanted to do so I was a bit I was keen for hard work I was keen to make something was it that kind of you said about the cricket there was it that kind of almost competitive spirit you wanted to kind of almost outdo the yeah I think fill that void yeah um, but but also just make something I think all you know young people are very insecure and as you get older you become more chilled with your situation yeah, yeah. but you um, I think you feel a real pressure to achieve and to make something of yourself because you're petrified because you've left school which is safe and you've gone out into the real world and what are you going to do with yourself because actually you've got to start providing yeah. haven't you but do you know what's really interesting and I find this a lot with guests is it's almost easy now to go oh well, that's great because it panned out but you mm. know at that time when you then started taking on there wasn't as you just said there there were no guarantees that this was going to pay off do you know what I mean it's quite a bold decision it, it didn't pay off um, for years and years and years so for 10 years you know we really struggled to make ends meet and uh, it didn't really work out and also yeah. I, me and James we had no social life you know all through our 20s we didn't you know anything something on a Saturday or Sunday now I'll never be there missed all my friends birthdays every party everything missed them all and do you know the amazing thing now is we run two restaurants and obviously we still work very hard but it's something's we've got great staff great teams and if something's on like I want to go to and like my mate's birthday I'll go yeah. and it's awesome I love it yeah. and we're never in that situation for years the sacrifices that you make to try and make your businesses work are, are huge but then what's also interesting you know after all this time and you've said it to me before is now that you have that extra kind of layer of 
you have kind of got this level of, if, you know, if you don't mind me saying, sort of fame mm. uh, for what you've done, and you're kind of now having to also balance that because you do a lot, you know, you do a lot of great stuff on, you know, TV, and you do, you know, Great British Menu, which was a massive success for you, which we've spoken about before. So then you kind of have that's quite interesting now, isn't it? After all that time, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's really interesting because to go from a chef who was probably working six days a week in the restaurant sending on the pass sending every single plate of food to suddenly having the infrastructure where you have head chefs and sous chefs and development chefs and other head chefs and different in the other restaurant and things like that and actually you find yourself running business the business side of things more and that's that's really interesting and I, I like the challenge of doing all these things that's why I enjoy doing bits of TV work because it really fulfills me my appetite to do different things um but it's really interesting because when you do find yourself doing just like a really generic job in the kitchen, you're like, oh, God, this is bliss. Because it's just, there's nothing to think about, yeah. you know, it's nice. I, yeah. But I, I love how varied my job is. Yeah. And I'm very appreciative of the people who work for us. Um, who've, who, and we, well, I say work for us, work, we work with, who have managed to help create all this. Um, I I feel forever guilty that I get all the credit for everything and I always do it's not fair but I think the chef does in every restaurant don't they whereas it's been a family business from day one and the other three are just as important as I am but also like you know especially guys like like Will who's the head chef at the Black Swan like he is a phenomenal talent and like I from the first maybe not the, quite the first day when he walked into the kitchen <laughs> but certainly after a small, short period of time I identified that he was going to be a really great chef and then a guy like Nick who I think you probably met Nick he's a development chef and he's been with me since you know the first day I was the head chef of a kitchen and you know if anything he's just a great friend so and you go through so much together in in terms of the sacrifices you've made to try and make the restaurant great but also the same food journey and we, we learned how to cook things together we learned how to preserve things together we learned how to do all these processes together so you almost you know you're on the same wavelength without even opening your mouth yeah, you're thinking yeah. the same things yeah you kind of you, you've spent that much time yeah you, your thoughts kind of come together and it is because it is that now especially when you say you have these kind of different identity places you must sometimes have to put yourself in a different headspace to say right now I'm going to think of a roots dish on, do, you, do you know what I mean yeah that was a, that was an interesting thing to do actually when we started developing dishes for roots because I'm so confident with the food at the Black Swan um, and confident we know exactly how we want to do it and it fits into taste many to make something slightly more casual where people were going to share it and different things it wasn't that we weren't confident in making yeah well I think we you don't have the same confidence so you'd make it and you'd be like I think this is great is this great? I don't know <laughs> whereas with the Black Swan you make something like yep that's great Yeah, what's going on we're happy with it we're going to do it like this banging do it whereas with Roots we were always in the initial like creative process especially for me and Nick we spent many hours just sat there it's like is this good or not I think it's good but are we trying too hard to do this or, or um, you know so certainly that was an interesting thing to go from been very sort of secure in what we're doing to, to actually attempt the new project where maybe we weren't so secure in it but but I think that's all part of it and, and now I feel very confident in the food we do at Roots well we'll come back to it but let's have your second dish have you got a second dish uh, second dish so I went to uh, Guy Savoir in Paris to three star restaurant well, that's, I don't know I must have been about 21 or something like that so like first experience of anything like that and I just remember the signature dish and I think by the way all young chefs when they're like that age are always like 
super picky. I think when you get a bit older, like you go out to eat in restaurants and you're just like, yeah, I loved it. It was great. <laughs> Whereas like when, when you're really young, you're like, oh my God, they made a mistake with that. They made a mistake with this. Anyway, this soup, he does this soup. I think it's like a signature dish. It's a, a globe artichoke soup, which is an odd vegetable to make a soup out of, uh, with, with truffle and a lot of truffle. And then this truffle brioche and truffle butter. And it comes and it is, it's bum brown. It's it's not a nice colour, and obviously as a chef, when you're making a soup, you always want it to be like vibrantly green or whatever. And I was like, oh, it's a bit, it's a bit odd, and it's got bits of truffle floating in. I'm not sure. Anyway, the waiter comes along with this like um, brioche bun, but it's not a brioche bun because it's like it's like brioche dough, but it's been laminated with truffle butter, and it is like perfect. It's the most beautiful thing. And then they smother it at the table with like this truffle butter stuff. And I was like, ooh, that's a bit, ooh, okay. And then, and then I just started to eat. This soup had so much, it was a bowl of soup, it had so much depth. It was literally the most delicious thing I'd ever eaten at this point in my life. And I remember just eating it, just in a total trance state, just mesmerised, just like, wow, okay, this is what cooking's, my mouth's actually watering now. This is what cooking's, <laughs> too. This is what cooking's about. I think that was quite a, a watershed moment for me that, you know, it's a three-star restaurant charging an absolute bomb and they're serving you a bread roll and some soup, but it's of the next level. I remember just like, must so I must have glazed over because the waiter came over and was like, would you like another another bun, sir? I was like, yes, please, yes, please. I probably said it in French. I probably wouldn't know how to respond. But yeah, so I remember I had, I had two buns. And that, that dish was uh, was, was special. I'm pretty sure if you go geese of white, it'll still be on the menu because it's a signature dish. And yeah. that is stunning. But then also then what's, what's interesting you're saying about signature dishes and stuff is that now you're kind of almost starting to have your own, you know, yeah. you're of that level now where people recognise like the beetroot dish which is so famous and has been picked up on by Sean as one of his favourite dishes on oh, when so he can did I his... have it then or not? If you want it, you can have it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that must be quite strange, wasn't it? I always swore as a, when I first became a headshot I'd never have a signature dishes because, um, because it meant that in my head it meant that you know you were you weren't coming up with new things i guess but the beetroot's an interesting one john i'll have that as as uh, that's number three because because actually it's the dish which i probably talk about every single day of my life and it's been a big part of our our journey no 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 (laughs) it's cool and and you know that all came about from reasons nothing to do with that dish so to start off with um and we very first started growing vegetables we had ken holland who's really great grower you probably come across him he he works with uh, sat baines i think still and quite he's worked with all a lot of top chefs in the uk and you know he helped us out a lot in the start with consultancy and uh, you know what learning what varieties to grow is the real key because it's not just a case of going to the garden centre buying some seeds and chucking them in and he was always on about these crappening beetroots they're really very difficult to grow they're a pain but they're, they're second to none for flavour and, and we, we grew them for that one year and I was like okay they're quite interesting these because they store very well and they'll keep they'll clamp so in straw they're and soil aren't they they're quite oh disgusting <laughs> um, and they'll store for months and months and months and I was sort of, um, I'm always reading things and writing things and coming up with TV concepts and stuff, which no one ever wants. But um, I was reading this article saying the UK is only self-sufficient until the 12th of August every year, which I think they've actually brought back now in the last few years. We're even less self-sufficient. So meaning we'd only produce enough food to feed our people for two-thirds of the year. We rely 30% on imports, basically. So I was like, I'd love to have a concept of a dish where we, sowed something once a year harvest something once a year but served it to every single guest who came through the door um, 
and that was that was that was the thought and we thought well the crap any beetroots and what we could do it with so we set off trying to do that and we grew a lot of these beetroots maybe first year we maybe grew a couple three ton or something and um and then when we got to a point where dad was like right we've got all these beetroots amazing aren't they what are we gonna do with it and i was like oh god i don't know because these beetroot are all it's all handwork you can't do any of it with modern so you, we literally i mean i'll move on to but nowadays our crop is and we're talking of like thousands tens of thousands of man hours of labor to create this dish a year um but like at the very start so we probably had you know a few ton of these beetroot and i remember saying to one of the chefs i was like we've now got all these beetroot i don't know what to do with them <laughs> and i was holding up this beetroot huge great beet thing a big barrel and i was like do you know what this way is the same as like a fillet of beef and do you know what it's probably cost us as much as a fillet of beef to grow and to store and i don't know what we're gonna do with it and then that was this like but moment it's like wait you would stick a fillet steak in a pan and you cook it in a bit of vegetable oil and that's just a done thing so why not make this beetroot into a steak and cook it in beef fat and it becomes our light beef fillet and it was almost i don't think i even did it more than once i think i just tried cooking it slowly did it and i remember it's what will is a head chef now he was probably a chef to party or maybe even lower than i don't know and i i remember cooking he was just like He's like, this is this is seriously good. And I was like, is it though, or is it just beetroot cooked in beef fat? And we messed about a bit more. And we started smoking them as well. And we tweaked around the technique a bit. And it was just like, yeah, this is good. And we put it on the menu. And of course, actually, a couple of ton of beetroots doesn't keep go that far. I mean, it sounds like a lot of beetroot, but it, it's not. So we had it on the menu for a couple of months. And we're like, oh, should we do that again? Oh yeah, we'll try it again. Okay, well let's try and actually do this and grow it. So keep it for the whole year. And we tried it again, failed. Managed to managed to buy a few. And you know, we tried it again the third year failed again uh managed to buy a few and keep it on and do it for most of the year this year we will do the whole calendar year we're That's talking cool. so four acres so if you've ever been to black swan that garden we have double the space of that just for beetroots down at the black swan and and they're all, all done by hand it's all clamped it's a huge huge amount of work and then you even thought to bring it over here to roots as well because i've seen it on the menu yeah so here so we'll go through um about 350 kilos of crappening beets a week here and we're 200 at the Black Swan um, so it's a huge amount it's bad isn't it amazing like, yeah. like, just from that kind of germ of that idea to then have this thing that people recognise yeah. and, and I've eaten it it is such it is a really really clever dish because it plays with you know the diner's kind of almost preconceptions of what the vegetable is going to be you know and that's yeah. why it's I think it's so clever I think the thing is amount of people we get you get your dietary requirements through my people who say they don't eat beetroot and I have to go out and tell them that they're eating the beetroot because I've grown them so you're having them <laughs> and um, people don't eat beetroot because they remember school dinners where they had these pickled beetroot and it wasn't very nice but I think the thing with it is and it's one of them ones I think when you have a signature dish you, you oh, I've seen enough of these and then you eat it and then you're like yeah it's, uh, it's still good no we're keeping it on I think that's how chefs end up with that situation but I think the thing is because it's cooked so slowly in beef fat you end up with that caramelisation on the outside that you get with a steak almost that leathery um, Maillard reaction which is just like it's our human nature to think that is the absolute most delicious flavour profile you can ever imagine and then the inside becomes almost fibrous and stringy like a piece of meat so it tastes like meat but the texture is like meat as well i think that is what really blows people people's yeah. minds and what makes yeah. makes me keep doing it um and then goat's curd and beetroot is just a classic i mean every 
over the last 10 years you've seen many menus which have goat's curd and beetroot starter on which is generically boring but I think it works well because what we do is we spike the goat's curd with horseradish juice so juice and horseradish is the best way to get the flavour out of it awful job it's like literally letting off tear gas and you get about 10 mils of juice out of a stick of horseradish but it gives that real fiery punch without having to have that creamy sort of flavour you get from an infusion um, and then smoked codro is really odd to go with it the smoky flavour works well and codro has that real umami flavour that just kind of brings the whole thing together mm. um, linseeds happen to be something we were growing on the farm that year my dad had a crop of linseeds not for the garden but for selling just a yeah, commercial yeah, yeah. farming crop and we ended up just being like oh well have some linseeds try it, yeah. and then it kind of all went together because they're full of like your omega oils and they're kind of like sort of quite an oily seed and it kind of just worked together in this sort of fat laden yet acidic mouthful but again that's that's why I like it because it's almost like those points of just not again not necessity but like it's there mm. do you know what I mean it's, mm. and that's what I, separates what you can do because you could like I said earlier you can look at and go well that's there let's do you know what I mean like mm. how, how many dishes or how many things do you get through a week where you've just seen something tried it and it's, oh, it might not work but we'll store that for later and... yeah oh, you work with things I think we're getting further away from that with experience yeah, so yeah, like yeah. we're definitely planning and the scale, like I'm telling you how many, they're using probably half a ton of beetroots a week between two restaurants. So you need to plan because there's no point having 10 cabbages and like, <laughs> yeah, you might don't know what to do with them. Do staff tea with them, might even not have enough to do staff tea. You know, so you do, there's a massive amount of planning that goes into it now. But certainly organically at the start, it was very much like that. It was like, we've got this, I'm going to put on the menu tonight and we were never that busy either because I hadn't done any of the TV or anything at that point and people didn't know about us so I think we were like we were just spitballing all sorts of things and surely surely some of it wasn't great <laughs> who knows but now it's it's a very yeah. very yeah. well measured and yeah. thought out process so we are on to your fourth dish you've well, done had three so you've done, yeah you've done well so we need um, number four um Okay. Um, You've done what, although I kind of gave you the beetroot, that was a bit well, of a gimme for but me. But it's my dish, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, One each. Oh, I'm trying to think what I really. Oh, do you know what? Something I really love, uh, and I had it a few times, and it's. Um, I went, went, we went to the um, the fat duck for my brother's birthday for his 30th um, year or so back but then uh, just before that we'd been to dinner by Heston and it was just nice I think I'd, I'd got Charlotte tickets to go to um, a musical for Christmas and we went down in January and we were going to go to this musical in the evening and I had lunch at dinner by Heston and I guess it was just one of them nice things like you're away from work and you're just feeling quite you're enjoying each other's company and it's just a beautiful thing and it's the tipsy cake uh, I remember just being like we had a big glass of sauternes and it's not the first time I've had it I've been there a few times I've probably had it two or three times but that tipsy cake is just everything I love I mean I'm talking about like fat laden desserts that's full of booze and sugar and eggs and butter and all the good things in life and they cook a pineapple on a spit for god's sake that's the type of thing that I want to eat and that, that tipsy cake I just remember we just we were getting we were like 
quite tipsy by this point and we were literally uh, we were digging into this cake and just looking at each other and just like oh yeah do you know what I think it's about them sort of food moments and like I would go back to that restaurant time and time again just to eat that that dish and it, in essence it's quite a simple thing an enriched dough cooked out in a caramel lots of and there was, I guess they use rum in it I, mean, I don't really know how they make it but it's damn good so I'd definitely put that as one, one of my favourite things yeah so I don't I don't know if you're aware of this but I can remember the series one when I first started and I interviewed Sean your yes. colleague at Black Swan and at that time I used to ask all my guests because um, I was mainly Yorkshire focused then you know who they were really excited about mm. in the area and all of them at that time said you oh well like every single guest that I would ask in Yorkshire was talking about you and what you were doing then so this is what two years ago mm. and now you've kind of Emerged and you are this, you know. Every, you know, you're almost like you're not one to watch now because you're a, you you've done it. Do you know what I mean? Is that is that weird? Uh, well, when you put it like that, it is yeah. I mean, it's it has been a, a massive evolution and, and journey, but I still think it's kind of a weird thing to say because I'm the best is yet yeah, to come. No, I'm really, not, I'm not trying to write um, you off. No, I'm just no. Saying, yeah. um, but no, I know what you mean. Um, I'm not someone who can ever. Re- ever sort of reflect on things very well it's funny um, I, wrote, I wrote a book last year Roots and obviously that was a huge well I wrote the year before it was published last year um, huge amount of work because there was 100 recipes in it but there was 30,000 words I wrote in there as well as well as running the restaurant things like that so it was a massive workload for me yeah. and, and a huge and obviously we put so much work into photography with Andrew who's a really great mate of mine and, um, and it was a huge amount of work and then obviously when you publish a book you have, you're on the merry-go-round you're here there and everywhere doing promotion for it you're on TV you're doing podcasts you're doing anything everything and it just all becomes a big blur and you've written your name which I'm terrible at writing so I have this stupid little smiley face thing which I do in every book and like before you know it you've done that I've thousands I've got at least three of those yeah name on it. I've got, before you know it you've done it thousands of times and you kind of like and it was only Really, uh, last month I think I was uh, I was doing some notes for the front of the house of the Black Swan, and it was all about bread. I was trying to explain the importance of flour and the flour that we use, and the importance of and what a whole grain actually means. And it's all very geeky, but it, and about the fermentation, of the dough, and all these things. So I wanted to get more information across to the diners because we do bread as a course at the Black Swan, and the reason why we do it is because of that flour, because of the technique, and and because I'm trying to do something quite unique. However it's hard to do it without being a preacher so I was, I was just going back and looking at excerpts of the book and I was copy and pasting them to use to, to, to do this sort of brief notes and I look back and that's the first time I actually looked at it and I thought actually no I'm actually really proud of this yeah, but you should be and, and it's been so well received yeah but you never do that um, so I think I don't know if that really answers your question in a very long-winded way. I very rarely look at what we did, what yeah. we've done, and, yeah. and and feel proud because there's oh God, a million things yeah. to do and a million meetings and a million things, projects that we're working on yeah. that need urgent attention. So you never really ever feel like you're getting anywhere. Yeah. But the odd moment you get, like, and Andrew came up. He did, we did photos this week for the websites for both restaurants, and we so we're having a beer one night, and I, and I said that to him, and he was just like, "Yeah, it is nice to." sit back and look at it and he actually said whenever I have job interviews now or pictures I just don't even send anything I just turn up with a book yeah. just give them that and say that's, that, so that, cool. that's what I can do so so that's pretty sweet But it's, and, and what makes it interesting for me is because now I'm, I'm lucky that I get to you know meet people at kind of different stages of their journeys and it felt to be when we first met you you had your head in the recipes mm. in, on your laptop and I could see you there yeah I think I was writing the yeah, book yeah you were when well, you arrived because um 
Because you just got engaged. Yeah. Literally got engaged yeah. at the restaurant. Yeah. 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 I remember. I've got well, one more. I've got something cool to show you off air. Actually, I need okay. to remind myself about that. <laughs> um, but it's it's really satisfying then for me as like a who's got nothing to do with your career, nothing to do with really anything, but just then to kind of stand back and kind of like just watch you grow because I can almost appreciate it, if you see what I mean. You know, I have nothing to do with your career, but. Mm. I got to meet you and I'm, I kind of feel invested. So that's, it's really nice. Yeah, I know what you mean. And, and I think we all feel that about other people, don't we? Yeah. Rather than ourselves. Because, like, I mean, look at your podcast. It's been amazingly successful. When you first started doing it, you were like, so you were doing very local sort of Yorkshire things. And now you're interviewing chefs internationally, really big names. And it's, it's going really well, big following. And I think, like, I can echo that sentiment to you. But I know exactly what you mean. It's impossible to sort of answer questions like, that because you think well God, yeah. you're only thinking about the next yeah. thing aren't you and you're not probably thinking about how well you've built your podcast you're probably thinking about oh, the next season I can get this guy on that guy on and I can you know get this that and the other and, but I think you do feel it for so guys like Sean uh, who's obviously on your first series he's a guy who I've seen develop hugely uh, in many ways like his culinary skills but also like his his like man management and, and things like that and that makes you incredibly proud like Will like I mean like I'd never say it to his face, and then probably won't listen. He probably won't listen to the podcast, so it'd be fine. But like here, like the, the, his development from being like a young chef coming in, having barely cooked, like running the kitchen at Black Swan, like you're incredibly proud yeah. of other people, yeah. and I totally get that um, that feeling towards other people. Yeah, but it's, it's impossible to have that for yourself, though, is it? Well, it's it's so interesting because you you know it's Seamus, the lad here on the bar. Shameless. Sha- What's his name? Sean. Shameless. Sha- yeah. What's his name? Shameless. But I thought you called Is- him Shameless. No, I said Shameless. <laughs> Shameless would be a Shameless. better name. <laughs> he, he served us yeah, yeah. in the Black Swan, and it, he was really, really new then. And then now yeah. we can see him here, and we met, you know, saw him again, and even I again can see in that time he's come on, and that must be the other part of having the business, oh. isn't it? That's- see, I, I I love that guy. Well, since we've um, opened Roots, he literally he works I'm like che- about this. He, he, out. he works like chef hours. So he comes in and he's oh god, he's coming to he's room coming. to speak quieter. But like he like you know he's there scrubbing the floors, he's yeah. doing everything, but he's developing drinks. The other day I was on the pass here, you know, busy lunch, we're rocking on, and he's brought me this martini, and it was just well, it looked like a martini, it was totally clear. I tried it, and I was like, what is that? And he was like. He's been collecting all the bacon fat that we from bacon being rendered in the kitchen for like months and washing Calvados with it. Um, he's been keeping all the truffle trim and infusing it in something. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. Um, and he's made this most amazing mart- basically a bacon and truffle martini, which sounds ridiculous, but I drunk it. I was like, that is the best thing I've ever eaten. Drunk, really. It is. It's so good. You know, like in Harry. mentioned the Turbo Shandy, which I had when I was The here. Turbo that Shandy is a banger, but it's a bit more of a rave drink, I think. <laughs> but you know, like in Harry Potter, they drink that butter beer, and like it, like supposedly it's delicious, but it kind of takes you to another place. That's what his martini is. I'm not even a big, like, martini fan, but this was amazing. That's cool, mate. When you drink Calvados, it has that sort of really. What I don't like is that real burn that harshness and like by washing it with bacon fat constantly it just rounds it off it's such a rounded sophisticated drink and it's very rare that you you try something first time you're like that is incredibly clever and sophisticated and like he made that last week and I'm, I'm sure we're going to have to put it on the menu here and I I and I'm sure it's probably end up being a signature sort of drink, I suppose. That's amazing. Um, but I, I drank that and I was just like, wow. And then you see that development in people. I was like yeah. so proud of him because I was like, wow, he's coming up with stuff here which is like top top level. Yeah. So we are now, we're on to your fifth and final dish. Yeah. Have you got one that 
um, that you can add? Yeah, I think I think uh, I've listened to a podcast. A lot of people talk about like a dish from everywhere they've worked and things like that. And obviously, I've not worked anywhere so I'm having to use my own dishes a bit obviously I had the tipsy cake and the geese savoir soup which is amazing but uh, another dish which I think was a big turning point in my life and career really was um, the Douglas fir dessert I did on Great British Menu um, it was a dedicated to my grandfather and um, yeah, that, was that was a big because I got all tens for it which was good like from a, like it's a good dessert and we, we've used it a lot in the restaurants over the years but like that moment it was the fact was for me it was too difficult to do in the time constraints of Great British Menu but I think my grandfather played a huge part in my life and I never really got over him like passing away and I think that was almost quite a selfish thing for me to do was that I, I put it into the brief because I argued he was my great Britain, he was my hero sort of thing. Yeah, but but, but um, he almost provided me with closure, yeah. I think, in a, in a weird way, to be able to do something like that. And it, it really pushed me to the nth degree of my ability um, and to pull it off and be successful with it. I think that's what captured people's imagination. And, you know, I mean, I had so many people. I mean, I remember, like, the next day after it being on air, like, the big gruff fish guy from Hartlepool who brings all the fish down to Black Swan. He walked in and just gave me a massive hug. He was like, I was bawling my eyes out last night watching that. And we, I was, were, we were really yeah. touched by it. I and mean, I was like... You could tell it was personal to me. Yeah, man, and it really was. I mean, it, it took a lot out of me, that. But it's a dessert I'm proud of as well because, I mean, if you went up on top of the White Horse, you wouldn't think there was many. So the White Horse, sorry, is a big landmark near the restaurant you wouldn't think there's much edible there so to make a dessert just like out just from the Douglas fir needles and, yeah. and utilise them in a way like I know like with Nick we actually went out foraging last week for these there's just a handful of trees in each of the woods around our area that we know has the right flavour and that's kind of what I love about it is no one's ever going to be able to recreate that because you can't find the exact you can't go to the exact tree that we go to um, but that was a real moment because I think that, that captured the viewer's imagination as to what it meant to me but like what emotion and story you could tell through food and I think like you know that was a big family uh, thing so we had like a bonsai forest of fir trees which incidentally I mean at that time GBM was filmed in Camden and it's, it's quite a rough sort of area and I had to park my dad's car because I couldn't keep the trees in the in the studio all week because it was too hot so I had to park my dad's car down in this like council estate and every lunchtime I had to go and like water all my plants and trees which were in the back of this old Volvo which was like parked on this state so it was like a massive it was like nobody sees the behind the scenes I had this like moss that was growing on the outside we had to keep alive and I had to spray it constantly and missed it so I was doing like the starters and the main course stuff, but I was running out in between each thing and like tending to my my plants which were growing in the back of a Volvo in a council estate so it's the thing which wasn't the first time for that area that dodgy <laughs> plants are being grown I'm sure not, not usually for culinary uses though so like um, it's things like that which you just add yeah. to the story don't they it's brilliant and we, I, we were really lucky to try that dish pretty soon after you mm. debuted it on Great British Menu and, it, and I've had it here since at Roots it is so special and that's what I love about it is it's got that story and it's got that connection like I say I found it really touching but the flavours are so unique and they just work as yeah. well yeah it is a good dessert and it, we've, we've used it at Roots a bit because I wanted to put on a few of the ones that people you know, know us for but I, th- I think um, you know that's coming off in the next sort of month and Oh, I don't think it'll return. I think it's done. It's it's well, I done. Run it's... And try and get it before it comes <laughs> I, th- I think it's you know, but um... I know what you mean though. But because we are, I made an awful lot of that. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> but um, after a while, but, but it, it kind of yeah, it was a real 
really emotional yeah. dish for me. I'm glad uh, you picked that one. That's yeah. a favourite of mine, actually, from uh, our memories of eating at the last one. You know, and I hope other chefs have them sort of things. I mean, cooking is a hugely emotional thing, and there's loads of chefs listening to this and think, what a wanky guy. Like, why is he talking about this nonsense? But it is, right? Because I see my chefs all the time. They might not talk about um, dishes in that form of emotion, but I see guys cooking an amazing piece of monkfish with the biggest smile on the face, and they're like, yeah, come on, I love this. That's emotion in itself. It's just which way you decide to show it. And I, and I think you have to have that connection with food and produce to to be bothered to do all this in the first place and to push yourself and to get to the level you need to be as soon as you're cooking something you just can't really be asked about then you might as well not bother so this is going to be hard for you now because you've got a really personal dish that you've just chosen there maybe you'll choose that one out of the five if you had to have a special of your favorite dish of those five do you know which one you'd choose yeah the apple cake yeah okay. yeah every day yeah because that's just the yeah. memories of of just growing up that I, that I enjoy you know and I think everybody wants to go back to the childhood yeah. when they weren't you know everything was simple and you just had to go get your granddad from the field to come in and try a piece of cake you didn't have like 90 employees and two restaurants to run and stuff to do you know so I think everybody like romanticises about yeah. their childhood I can't let you go I will let you wrap up but I can't let you go without seeing if there's any teaser you can give me if there's anything in the exciting pipeline of world of Tommy Banks that you can that's coming up is there something in your brain that you're working on right now that you can tease me with so the start of this year has been very focused on the farm and um totally changing the way we grow things so not only a huge growing plan for all the fruit and vegetables we need to run two restaurants but also we're dipping our toes back into animals so it's been a long time um since we've had animals on the farm um but yeah that is the next project so um we've got big plans for that which are already in motion and uh yeah i'm looking forward to doing a lot more charcuterie and and other bits with things like that so a lot of the next projects revolve around meat amazing what a way to end it revolve around meat i love that well listen mate you know do you want one of these martinis do i yeah 100 percent. bacon and truffle martini. yeah why not let's get one okay great thank you so much thank you for being on i always love having you on oh yeah it's an absolute pleasure cheers mate Thanks again to our fantastic series partners, Chefworks. Check them out on social media. Just search at Chefworks UK in Ireland on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. Hashtag ChefWorksWearer if you wear Chefworks and you want to feature or get in touch with us and maybe you can appear as a chef of the month. Now that would be really cool to see a chefy listener of the past feature as a Chefworks Wearer of the month. That would be really cool. You can get in touch with me on twitter as well at the past pod uh, i am also the underscore past underscore podcast on instagram or you can email me with stories of best dining experiences perhaps celebrities in restaurants is always fun uh, i'm at paul at the past podcast.co.uk and perhaps i will grovel with chef works for an apron for our best email that gets read out on the show that would be cool you can have your own apron chef works apron that would be really lovely to see somebody in that uh, you can take a nice picture for us cheers guys and uh, we will see you next time around on the past podcast cheers